And so I tell Steve, man, I thought it was phenomenal. I was like, you know, there was this, there was that. We raised all this money. There's so much momentum. And then I said, how do you think it went, Steve? He looked at me. He finished the last bite of the chicken tender on his plate. And he turned around and went, got some more chicken tenders and never responded to me. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. I woke up particularly early this morning and uh, figuring out what to do with my time and seems like a bonus podcast episode for a Friday morning is a good use of the extra time I've got. So in this episode, uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about, uh, primarily related to chicken tenders, which you'll uh, understand more about later. But before we get there, if you're listening to this on Friday, January 13th, today is the last day to enter the giveaway I'm doing for Major Gift Millions. So I'm giving one person free lifetime individual access to my course, Major Gift Millions. You just have to enroll. You've got to uh, leave a review for One Visit Away on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot of that review, and take the screenshot before you hit submit, uh, because it can take a couple of days to get Uh, approved and show up. So take a screenshot of your review, send it to me, email it to me, kevin at onevisitaway.com, or feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn with that screenshot. And then I'm going to announce the winner on Monday, the 16th of January. So make sure you get those in. I hope to see you in the course. And uh, now on to today's, today's story. So I guess I'll give you I'll give you a little background. Um, this is something I've wanted to talk about for a while in some way, and I think it could have its its own podcast about it. But when I grew up in New Orleans, and uh, we were a very outdoorsy family, we did a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing. Um, you know, I got really into hiking and backpacking and camping and all that stuff. Uh, especially later on, but um, when I was, you know, when I was living at at home, we'd go fishing all the time. Me, my dad, my brother, and then we got into to duck hunting a little later on. And I'm going to describe to you what uh, just a brief part of what some of our duck hunting adventures looked like. We would, because what I what I like to describe people is that there's there's rich people duck hunting, and then there's what we did. <laughs> Rich people duck hunting involves uh, some of the same characteristics, but uh, a much easier endeavor overall. Basically, you wake up, you uh, you get in your. You might be staying at some like house that you own that's on the water, really close to to where you hunt, and so you wake up, you just get into the boat, and. You you drive it right over to your blind. You step out of the boat into the blind, and you never have to get wet. There's no real hard work involved, and it's on land that you own uh, or lease, and it's just super easy. Then there's what we did. 
which was hunting on public land. And we would, so, you know, we'd wake up at, I don't know exactly what, like 4, 4.30 in the morning. We'd get in my dad's green F-150 and, you know, make the 45 or 60 minute drive over to, to where we would hunt. And we'd just park on the, on the side of this road in the this little marshy area. And there was this little channel that was like cut between these two, uh, you know, these two pieces of marsh with all this grass. And it was, you know, like it must have been three feet wide, really shallow water. And I don't remember exactly how far it was. Maybe it was maybe it was 25 yards that you'd have to go through this channel before you got to the the open water. And we would we would. In New Orleans, people use these things called pierogs. It looks kind of like a canoe, but it's got a flat bottom so that you can uh, paddle it through shallower water. Then, like, it sits higher in the water than a canoe does, although it's a little less stable um, the way the hull is designed. And so, so anyway, we we've got our pierog and we've got our you know big bag of duck decoys. Uh, we've got our shotguns and everything, and uh, sometimes the water was deep enough that you could sit in the pierog and paddle. Um, but usually, the water was <laughs> low enough that you just the there wasn't enough water for the pierog to float, especially with with people inside of it. And so we would just have to, you know, get out of the pierog. We're wearing waders. And if you've never stepped in swamp before, uh, you know, your, your feet will sink down. I mean, it depends on what the, what the conditions are like, I guess. But I mean, sometimes, you know, six inches down to two feet, uh, into the, into the muck and we would just have to drag it. We would just, (laughs) we'd pull the pierog with all this heavy stuff and we'd just be, you know, stepping through this swamp and I mean, it is exhausting. So we'd get like 25 yards through this channel where there's just swamp grass all surrounding you. Sometimes it's really hot and there's mosquitoes out there. And the sun's still down, by the way. So we're using like headlamps or whatever. And we had to get the 25 yards or whatever through this this channel. And then we had to go, I don't know how, I was so young at the time. But I mean, it was it had to be at least a couple hundred yards, um, if not significantly more, to get to where we would make a sort of makeshift blind out in the in in the swamp on a, a patch of land. And so, I mean, we would just have to drag this thing. I mean, it would take thirty. It had to take thirty or forty five minutes when the when the water was low to get out to where we would hunt. And so, we're just stepping through this incredibly uh you know disgusting marsh just dragging all this heavy stuff and it was exhausting we'd show up you know covered in sweat just totally drained the sun's coming up we're trying to rush and get there before the sun comes up so we can make our blind before the ducks start coming in and you know seeing where we are and it was just brutal and <laughs> And what I remind myself of these days is like, I look back on the experience and I think about that's what we did for fun. That's what, 
<laughs> that's what our fun was, was these miserable, harsh conditions just like suffering one step at a time, trying to make it out to uh, where we could hunt. And, and that was our fun. And so one of the greatest things I think that that provided for me was like, man, if that's what we did for fun, imagine what work is going to look like. <laughs> imagine what the expectation around what what a hard day at the office is going to be like. If that's what fun is, then psh, like <laughs> look out work because the intensity is going to be brought and there's going to be no expectations of this being an easy path. And so that's one of the things I'm uh, most appreciative about my childhood is like learning how to, you know, push through difficult things and not having the, the super easy path always given to you. But that brings me to the fundraising story of the day, which goes back to, you know, my, my early days doing major gifts. And there was a, this was years ago, uh, there was a really successful fundraising campaign I had played an instrumental part in. And it was this particular campaign raised hundreds of thousands of dollars more than anything else before it at this organization. And I was incredibly excited about what we accomplished. Not only did we raise a ton more money, but there was this momentum being built that ultimately would lead to, from that one particular effort, over $5 million being raised over the course of a few years. And so, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't exactly see that future, but I knew it was going to be something like that because there was something, uh, something really special about this momentum. And so we had this, this first campaign, it was very successful, and I... My boss at the time, by the way, no one you've ever heard on this podcast or uh, heard me reference, um, had some issues, let's say, and lived in another, lived in another city. And uh, it was the first time I was going to see my boss after this successful fundraising campaign. And we were at we were at a party for an employee who was leaving the organization. So it was at this like this bowling alley. Uh, it was like, a, what was it? It was like a, was it Dave and Buster's? No, it wasn't Dave and Buster's, but it was a Dave and Buster's type environment. There's like a bowling alley, there's an arcade, um, and they, they have food there too. So we're at this event and I'll call my boss, Steve. <laughs> I don't want to go with Bob because Bob's always the uh, the donor that everyone loves. But Steve is uh, is at this event, and you know we're we're having this party for this employee who's moving on. And there was kind of like a buffet table <laughs> where we were we were getting getting food at this event, and there were there were chicken tenders. Uh, what else was there? I'm sure there were fries. The only thing I distinctly remember was that there were chicken tenders because I was, you know, standing around and Steve walks up to me. It was the first time I've talked to him since this successful event. And Steve has a plate of chicken tenders and he's, he's eating them and we're talking about life, whatever. And then he goes, so Kevin, 
how do you think that campaign went? Mind you, (laughs) this is my first time speaking to the boss after the super successful uh, campaign. And I'm like, great, we finally get to talk about this. And uh, hopefully this leads to, you know, uh, at some point in the near future, talks of increased compensation, something like that. These are things on my mind. And so I tell Steve, man, I thought it was phenomenal. I was like, you know, there was this, there was that. We raised all this money. There's so much momentum. And then I said, how do you think it went, Steve? And this was Steve's reaction. He looked at me. He finished the last bite of the chicken tender on his plate. And he turned around and went, got some more chicken tenders and never responded to me. He just looked at me in the eye, heard me say directly to his face, how do you think it went, Steve? And he completely ignored me. And that was the, uh, <laughs> that was the conversation we had about this super successful uh, fundraising campaign. And it was like, what the heck? <laughs> and obviously that was a very insulting rude uh obnoxious move on steve's part but why am i sharing this story with you well i'm sharing this story with you for a couple of reasons one to let you know uh, and this is just one story of many of things like that have that have happened in my career is that major gift fundraising is really freaking hard. And if you want to be successful at this and have a, like, fulfilling career, I want to let you know right now, it is not going to be the easy path. One of the things, you know, I see happen so frequently is people encounter obstacles in major gifts and they've got a crappy boss and their board sucks and whatever. They're not getting paid enough and they immediately move to the next job. And I, I understand sometimes you have to, but usually you don't. And I stayed at the same organization for a long time in ups and downs and different leadership. And part of the reason I was able to do that is because I reminded myself every day, I am not here primarily for the money and I for freaking sure am not here for somebody's approval at this organization. I am here because I want to move a mission forward and I want to help those that we serve with all of my heart. And that is going to involve suffering through idiots on occasion and it's going to involve walking through that marsh pulling a hundred pounds of crap behind you when nobody else wants to do it and some of you are listening to this and there's this huge push for self-care which i agree with to an extent But it is, I think, pushed beyond that into never allow anything to be difficult. And what I want you to know is that life is difficult. And 
if you want to see the fruits of your efforts compounded over time, you're going to have to push through things that you don't want to. You're going to have to see, oh, there's a job over at XYZ Group for $25,000 more. And man, they want me to go work there so bad. And you're going to have to say, that's not for me because I am on this path. You're going to have to take a 10-year view rather than a 10-week view. It is so enticing to go do something else because there's a $10,000 raise or whatever it is. And I like I share with you this story to let you know I have been there. And sitting where I am now, you know, many years removed from that conversation, I am so happy that I kept moving forward. And again, I don't want to tell anyone stay in a totly in some horrible situation. Everybody's different. Everybody's got different objectives. You're in different points in your life. But what I have seen as a theme repeated over and over is that people that leave organizations every 12 to 18 months are not any happier where they are today than when they moved, you know, seven times over the past decade. Major gifts is going to suck. It's in the nature of the job. You're going to get rejected. You've got to call people when you don't want to. You've got to be willing to ask for things, be looked in the eye and told no, or just sometimes not even responded to. People will disrespect you, whether they are your employer, your board, a donor, whoever. I am not condoning that. Uh, I think there are times to confront people on it. I think there are times to quit. But I think there are also times, depending upon your situation, again, I don't want to tell you that you need to do this, but I knew I could withstand this and I could keep moving forward. Part of it is because I was trained to do that in what we did for fun. And there is... Man, there is just so much more we are capable of than what we realize a lot of the time. And man, it's fun to see where things are today. I mean, my things with LinkedIn and the podcast and my course and the coaching business have just like exploded over the past couple of years. And I reflect on like, I mean, some of the stuff that's happened recently and just a bunch of people purchasing my course is like, man, this is, this is a decade of doing little things every day that nobody else wanted to do. And things that I was considering, I mean, yeah, like a 10 years ago when I was kind of planning this out, I knew it was not going to be an easy path. But I had a 10-year vision of like, you know, where do I want to wake up a decade from now? And that's how I think about things even now. You know, what do I want things to look like 10 years from now? And so that's my, that's my, that's one of the things I want to share with you is just understand that this job is really hard and don't expect it to be easy. 
And there are pl- obviously there is more dysfunction at some organizations than others, but I promise you <laughs> now sitting on the other side working with, you know, a bunch of different organizations, there is dysfunction everywhere. And that's why you see these people job hop so much because there's dysfunction everywhere and you cannot avoid it. The thing you can learn is how do you push through dysfunction? How do you ultimately uh, become someone who can influence and heal dysfunction in an organization? So that's one thing. The other point uh, I want to bring up is (laughs) I just spent all this time telling you how you got to be able to push through things like this. But I also want to tell you to correct things like this. If you manage people, go out of your way today to let someone know how much you appreciate what they're doing. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time for you to just pop into somebody's office, give them a phone call, write them a handwritten thank you note to let them know how much you value what they're bringing to the organization. The other thing I want to bring up is just if you if you are the manager <laughs> or if you're the employee and there's nobody that's going to do that, I just want to take this time to encourage you and let you know you are doing a fantastic job. There is like, man, just the fact that you're listening to this podcast, I know you want to bring about incredible things to the mission of your organization. This podcast is specifically designed not to be the pure, uh, let's go listen to One Visit Away just so we can you know, feel good about ourselves. This podcast is designed to challenge you, to show you what is capable when you push outside of your comfort zone. And so just the fact that you're listening to this, I know you want to grow, you want to do the difficult things. And I just want to say thank you to all of you listening. I know what it's like to not have uh, the appreciation that you should have. And I also know that you shouldn't look for it uh, entirely at your your place of work because um, that's fleeting. And so for the time being, I just want you to know listening to this right now, thank you for what you're doing. I know this can be a thankless job. I know it's a scary job. You are doing incredible things just by picking up that phone, sending that email, going out on that visit, asking questions, and ultimately asking people for big gifts because those that we serve are worth it. And if you just keep pushing a little bit further, things can turn out in a dramatically positive way that you couldn't see because so much of the time that we're wanting to leave we're focused too much on ourselves when we got into this work because we cared about some person who was suffering and so put your focus on that person today pick up the phone get the visit scheduled i promise you uh the best is ahead and uh just keep moving towards it so thanks so much for listening as always you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization now go make it happen